0: cliffcentral.com.
1: That's right. Nando's brings you The Burning Platform every Thursday morning. And today with uh, Pumi Mashiko and I and our guest, Ray Hartley. He'll be joining us shortly. We'll get into some of the things that uh, Ray wants to talk about in a short while. But there are so many news stories. I promise you the one that we will not be referring to because it's not a news story, even though it's interesting, is uh, Richard Spoor's penis picture. We, we've we kind of dealt with, it. We've dealt with that already. We did it in the first hour of the show. Yeah. So don't expect us to carry on about that very much more this morning. But there are lots of other stories in the news. If there's anything you'd like us to talk about, you can always let us know. Um, We want to hear from you. You can drop a comment in uh, the YouTube comments. You can also like and subscribe, and we'd appreciate that very much. If you are following us on YouTube, like and subscribe and leave a comment, and then you are part of the family. So the Burning Platform is really our chance every week to catch up on current affairs, to see what's going on in the world, and to discuss the important matters in the political, the economic, and the social realm. That affect us all. So Pumi and I are joined this morning by uh, the great Ray Hartley, and I don't say that um, in any facetious manner at all. He really is an incredible contributor to South Africa's uh, journalism, to us understanding ourselves. And we've been talking to Ray for a while to try and find a day which would work for him. And I'm thrilled to say he he can join us this morning. He's obviously a well-known editor. He was an anti-apartheid activist before then in the UDF. Um, He worked at the Human Awareness Program. He's worked as an administrator at CODESA. Um, He also joined Business Day, then the Sunday Times, where famously he edited for a while. He covered the Nelson Mandela presidency, traveled the world with him, witnessed the birth of the new democratic South Africa, and since then has written a number of books. He's also been a prominent editor for a number of online and uh, newspaper publications. And he's written most recently, Ramaphosa, the man who would be king. And we're thrilled to have him with us today. Hey, Ray, how are you?
0: I'm um, well. How are you, Gareth?
1: Good. It's so nice to see you. And Pumi and I are really excited to have you on because she sent me a WhatsApp a couple of months ago saying we have to get Ray Hartley on because there's so much, <laughs> I, so much I want to talk to so you Keep about. talking, man.
0: Keep talking.
1: <laughs> so don't worry. We, we, we're, we're, we're genuinely pleased, and I think so are, are our audience, to have you on here. So let's let's get straight to it, Ray. I mean, you've written all these incredible columns over the years. You've written these books, most recently the one about Cyril. So, this election that's coming up, um, everybody's looking for someone to predict to be the Nostradamus of the election results. But do you have any immediate feelings? The ANC is in such turmoil at the moment. Everybody is looking at them and going, this is a disaster. But what are the alternatives? And and what are ANC voters going to do when they get to the polls? What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think it's a very difficult one. I mean, if you look at it objectively, um the previous local government election in 2016 the anc got uh what you can only call really a snot club i mean <laughs> they lost nelson mandela bay they lost china they lost Still Joburg, there. um and this was in reaction to zuma and the, the state of the you know it was a sort of a protest vote so there is a tradition of south africans using the local government elections to send a message. Mm -hmm. However, the question is who would they choose as an alternative? And there, I think it's really difficult to say. And I'm kind of, I I think people are very distracted by a lot of noise that goes on on Twitter and so on, um, about the DA. I suspect they will do better than people think. Mm -hmm. They might not do as well as they could, uh, given the parlous state of the ruling party, I mean, you'd expect an opposition really to solidly kind of advance and and so on. But I think that at a local level, it's, it's pretty calamitous Of there, you know. Um,
2: and uh, you'd have
0: to be a really, really bad opposition party not to pull some of the votes. Mm-hmm. I think the EFF will also gain, uh, especially in poorer communities where service delivery is zero i mean it's ground to a complete in 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 most of the country and certainly out there in the land. so there could be a bit of an eff wave um but we're looking at a lot of uh, of hung municipalities where people are going to have to get together it's coalition politics you know squared from last time
1: yeah. Um, what, what do you think Cyril's influence on all of this has, or his lack of influence on all of this has been? Because Pumi and I talk about Cyril every week, and, you know, Pumi... He's
2: the president. He's the, we must. I
1: know, but <laughs> but but you, you've been quite outspoken about this, and sometimes people are, are shocked and surprised at how... You know, like Cyril's always shocked and surprised. That's that's <laughs> they're always shocked and surprised that he is. But it seems like this guy is kind of he's languishing a bit. There's there isn't any hard leadership. You know, the one thing you'd say for Zuma, even if we didn't like him, is he held the ANC by the throat and got it to do what he wanted it to do. I don't think Cyril's been able to do that even once.
0: Yeah, I think that's you know, it's just not his style. So I mean, his style is that he will be. I mean, I, I, you know, the sort of metaphor for it, if you could just indulge me for one minute, is mm-hmm. you can imagine Cyril facing his opponent, let's say, Ace mm. Um And on the surface, they are hugging, they are smiling, they are shaking hands, mm. they are back-slapping, they are commiserating. But underneath the surface, you've got to picture the roots. And the roots are, coming from Cyril, are garden shares. And they're cutting off the roots underneath Ace, and Ace withers away. Um, that's how he works. So he doesn't ever want to be seen to be acting against these people in the party. So he cuts off their lines of patronage, and they, you know, they wither away. I mean, Ace has run out of money now.
1: Mm.
0: So all the people that depend on Ace for contracts, they no longer get contracts out of the Ace camp, or uh, largesse you know patronage so that then withers away the trouble with that is that it does not uh, that is not an electoral message it's not a message to south africa It's not a clear decisive path that the voters can see what they see is muddling along and occasionally something happens and then it seems to take so long i think in his calculation i think he expected the judicial process to move a lot faster yes than it has so that piece of his puzzle is kind of holding everything back because the prosecutions are are taking so the prosecution service was so badly destroyed um and the reporting that just can't get back together
2: ray your description of cyril is the word you use in your book is ruthless. Mm. Yeah. And do you think that he still has that bite and that in the long run, because, I mean, he's always said that he's the president of the ANC before he's the president of the country. Do you think that this is his long game is his ruthlessness to keep himself available for another term as the president of the anc and and possibly at that time be wholly in control of it and i don't know do what with it
0: yeah i think that he you know i mean i think he is establishing control i don't think that's the problem i just don't think it's his style to sort of forge out that way i mean i'm very sort of conflicted about it because if you'd said in let's say, 2016, that in five years' time, Jacob Zuma will be in jail. Ace Maheshule will be fired as secretary-general or or suspended as secretary-general and be facing corruption charges. A senior minister like Zerimkiza would be um, out of office
1: Sorry. Have we lost you, Ray? Sorry, I just I saw you. Say no, that. I'm just no, hearing but, something else going on but there? We've oh. got an
2: audio coming through. Of oh, that's very I don't know. Don't sorry. Push.
1: I don't know. I, I don't know where that must <laughs> have come <laughs> from. Try and figure. I'll try and fi-
0: I'll try and figure it
1: out. That's <laughs> but... quite <laughs> Sorry. No, no. So, so you were talking about about his ruthlessness, and, and
0: I think this so, is a good you know, question. It, it is pretty ruthless. You know, if you think about it. I mean, the the Secretary-General of the ANC has been ordered to step down and is facing corruption charges. Mm. You know, now, that could have been packaged very differently. You know, Ron Poza could have called a press conference and he could have announced it and made a, a moment out of it and actually, and then followed it up with, you know, a series of other actions like that. And, and he would have got public momentum behind him. But instead he's sort of like he wants to be seen to be sort of shocked
1: hmm.
0: you know well yeah and you know it's well you know the courts must take their course and of course he's innocent until proven guilty but we must take these steps and we hope that the comrade will recover and be back in our ranks soon and we can all be happy again together so that sort of message just doesn't Play. It
1: just right. swap. Not... So so there's as I understand it then there's a bit of performance that goes on in order to give the illusion that the ANC is still a family, even though it's a dysfunctional one at best. And and then yeah. and then you're applying something which I love to have guests like you on to do because there are very few people who have this ability, is applying the long view of history. Because if you look at things in terms of what you've just brought up now, these are not small moves. I mean we're always wrapped up in the day-to-day news, right? So we expect dramatic daily news and we expect the news cycle to have this long tail. But it doesn't really. And it's it's because we we don't have that perspective of the whole thing. Like the ANC Secretary General is gone, you know, and he has lost all his power. And as you say, his roots have been cut out from under him. These are significant moves. And we tend to think that because Cyril isn't making these big announcements and doing these dramatic things, that things aren't moving forward. But they clearly are.
0: They are, but you know, but you know, fifty percent of this of politics is the, is the message and the the sort of putting the message across and packaging it, and that part is is not there. You know, it's kind of. It's because I think he thinks that he needs to work the party Mm. um, and keep the party together, uh, you know. And so I think, you know, the, the trouble is that it doesn't work when more and more of these things start coming out because the message has not also been sent very clearly within the party.
2: And Um, what do you think this means for for South Africa, right, for the greater South Africa? So South Africa is not the ANC, but the ANC is the governing party. And so what happens within the ANC has a bigger impact on South Africans and South Africa as a whole. So what do these little machinations have for the rest of us? What is the implication on the bigger stage?
0: Well, I think the biggest implication is that there's drift so there isn't a direction carved out and it's not and in the economic area there particularly there is drift because there's there's obviously need for urgent reforms on the economy you know to to really open it up and just let entrepreneurs loose and get uh, some growth going and get uh, just fire it up but it's those reforms are, are not happening because again there are a negotiation within the party. And Ramaphosa doesn't want to alienate the people who are against some of these reforms. Um, and I think, you know, the thing about the parties, everyone says it's very divided and, and so on. But I, there's also a problem that it's... There's a lot of... There's, there's a homogeneity there in, mm. in cabinet. Um, so right now, the president the Minister of Finance, the Minister of Trade and Industry, yeah. and the Minister of Minerals and Energy are all former general secretaries of Kasati. <laughs> okay. So out of that, you're not going to get dynamic no. uh, progressive economic reform. You're going to get protect the workers. As
2: oh, socialists. Yeah. That's
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly so right. Everything will- so you, you don't have a, you know, to cover an economic reform direction along the lines of Southeast Asian countries and so on, which, you know, requires a bold leader to go out there and do something pretty dramatic and overturn the apple cart. The, the,
1: the interesting yeah. thing here also is that they have We say that the ANC is divided, but they're tremendously loyal to each other in a way that other parties aren't necessarily. They don't disagree with each other publicly very often. And we know that it's very hard to get the ANC to turn on one of their own. Um, it, It takes an enormous amount of negative press and huge damage to the party for people to actually say, it's that guy or it's that girl. You know, we always hear these... These murmurs of small Anyana skeletons in the cupboards. But people don't actually turn on each other in the ANC. They they actually. Yeah,
2: look at what's happened with Kusela. Kusela Diko. Diko. Right? Mm. We, yeah. Look what's happened with Kusela, where the whole, all of us, we're uh, we now shocked that she's kind of just slinked Slidged her back way in. back into. Yeah.
0: Correct. This is the yeah.
2: position. And... Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think that's, I mean, that's the problem is that there's always a a kind of, you'll probably dig deep there and you'll see that the deco, there's links to the royal family down in the Eastern Cape, in parts of the Eastern Cape. There's probably a constituency there that's vital to the ANC somehow, you know, so let's see if we can find something for the comrade. Hmm. Um, You know, and, yeah, I mean, I don't know if Carl Nierhaus can find a way back. I think he's pretty much gone. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I so don't it. think he really as a constituency at all. Um, yeah, but that's like, about it. So I mean, yeah. even, you know, if you think how long it took for them to actually take action against someone who on a daily basis yeah. was issuing public statements and calling press conferences I mean, and ripping into the party. That
2: mm-hmm.
0: took them, you know, a good five years to, to finally do something.
2: Ray, as a as a member of um, an alumnus of the media fraternity, what do you make of? Because you know you raised the Carl House and and his press conferences and making statements and all of that stuff, and the media feeding into his delusions, right? <laughs> what do you make of the role that the media is currently playing in in this? In this muddling along this malaise that the country is in do you think that they they're partly part of the problem
0: yeah you see i think i mean you also have to define the media mm. because these days it's not you know newspapers are a small part of the media i mean there's a much larger media out there that's completely unmediated and yeah is just somebody exercising an opinion without really seeking any points of view on it or all. Um, and so in that environment, I think, you know, populism thrives. It's just so the media is desperate for attention. It's desperate for clicks. That's the future. The only future really is in uh, online advertising. Um, and that, in order to get that, it's measured very ruthlessly um, yeah. based on the number of clicks, hits that you get, uh, traffic, basically. In order to get traffic, you need to have sensational content. So, And so there's this drive towards, the, you know, populism kind of feeds on that and the media feeds on populism.
1: So how, on, that, on that note, what does someone like you do when they're looking for the real story? And I mean, not all of us are journalists who can you know, go to the ground and and figure out what's actually happening at the local or community level. And we've got these elections coming up and we're going to see who the good journalists are because they'll be the ones who can actually give us facts that turn out not to be fictions. But how do you get your news? I mean, I'm always curious about speaking to people like you who've been in a position where you know a lot more about South Mm -hmm. African media and publications than anyone else. What do you trust anymore? Because we're all stuck in the same horrible place between not knowing whether this person is a good journalist or that one's a bad one this one's captured, that one works for somebody who's got an agenda that one is is definitely left wing this one's definitely right wing. Where do you get your info?
0: Yeah I think uh, I try and get my info from primary sources speaking to people that are in the that are actually in the world of politics. But also I think that there are still a few media institutions which you can pretty much rely on. I I think of Business Day, for example.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I I trust what I read in Business Day. And I think of the Financial Mail, and Rob Rose is the editor there. Yes. And he's pretty fearless. And Financial Mail, I think I, I trust them. Beyond that, I mean, I think it's really look at the byline, and I, I won't mention names, but, you know, <laughs> I look at the byline and I go, yeah, okay, well, let, let's, this this. It could be something, yeah, or alternatively, I don't really trust this. Right. Um, but I think beyond that, it's quite difficult to... to I'm mean, being probably very unfair to a lot of good journalists out there in other publications. I mean, columnists and uh, opinion... Writers, I think there are excellent ones in, you know, for example Mandy Makanya in City Press, um and Barnum Tamboti in the Sunday Times. Absolutely. That are pretty worth worth reading every every week for sure. Mm. Um but yeah, it's it's a, it's a smaller pool than it should be. Ray,
1: let's just once and for all get your comments on Jacob Zuma and the Constitutional Court because this is going to be an albatross around our necks for some time yet.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the Court has made itself clear, you know, and we're a constitutional state and there is no way of wriggling around that. I think Zuma always believed that, you know, when it came down to... The, the, the final moments, he would prevail, the sheer weight of his political story and his association with the ANC and his history and and the people that he had appointed. Because I think he has a very sort of patriarchal kind of view of society. So mm. he thought that when he signed off on judicial appointments, they owed him something, you yeah? mm. um, know, and much to his surprise, Muang did not owe him anything in that yeah. famous judgment where he said yes. cut the head off the beast or whatever it was mm-hmm. um and and all the other judges have also demonstrated that, so I think he's, he seriously miscalculated the strength of the constitutional um order and 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 judicial kind of weight, and even the country i think was nervous yeah about whether the, the you know whether it would actually be seen through, and I mean Helen Zilla, I think famously even took it when she shouldn't have that um, the decision on the election electoral court, elec- election uh, date was going to the election date was going to be moved because the ANC was influencing the judges, um, and then that very afternoon it didn't get moved, hmm. which which is a you know a, a strong demonstration because I think the ANC is running from this election as fast as it can, or what. Yeah. Um, and very much have liked another six months to sort itself out. So I think Zuma, victory for the constitution. I have a feeling he's, he's really ill, and I don't think it would be great for Zuma to die in jail.
2: It wouldn't be great for Cyril if Zuma died in jail.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would be good. You know, it would play very badly. It would create a whole kind of. You took an old, sick man. You put him in jail. He died, and then there's a basis for martyrdom and so on.
1: But do you think but, he's? Do you think he's? A, hand, sorry. Do you think he's a spent force? I mean, if they if they did release him from jail on compassionate grounds or whatever, or they decided. They were going to continue to try him in absentia and let him just retire and take it easy in, in Kandla. Do you think he's a spent force politically, or do you think he still has some extraordinary influence on particularly the polit- politics of KwaZulu Natal?
0: Yeah, I think you put your, your, your finger on it there. I mean, it's, I think it's shrunk, and it's now KwaZulu Natal where he plays. Mm. Um, and that's, that's very important for the ANC. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think you ever count Zuma out mm. um you know he was fired as deputy president and um and faced a, a rape trial and came back and won the nc presidency so you know he was counted out by a lot of people there yep. <laughs> yeah, back back in the day <laughs> yes they were all wrong and i i i think he'll still be a force but it's a diminished force again because the access to patronage is just limited. You know, the, the access to money, to his people being in positions where they can actually go out cash is is is, is shrinking. Hmm. But in KZN he's a big player and is very popular on all sides of the 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 political sort of divide in northern KZN. Hmm. Um, So I've no doubt he would continue to play a role, but it's going to be a diminishing and shrinking one.
2: Ray, you have a long view of South Africa. You know, looking back, you have seen this country kind of shift through power bases in, in quite significant ways. When you look at South Africa's Population. So South Africans and where we are now. We just got the numbers coming in after the voter registration. Most young people uh, haven't even bothered to show up to vote, to to register to vote. So there's a good 15 million people that aren't on the roll. The roll is shrinking. The voters' roll is shrinking, and people are people are hurtful. Do you think we are um, at the precipice? of another big shift in terms of power dynamics in South Africa.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, what, what you have is a growing constituency outside formal politics. Um, so I think it's now this more than half mm-hmm. of adults who could vote do not vote, put, put bluntly. So, and the reasons for that, some of them might be happy as Larry and... Not you know, but if you look at the other statistics that go with that, in other words, this massive youth unemployment um, and lack of opportunities in the economy, and this slowing uh, uh, economic growth picture, the impoverishment of the middle classes um, it all adds up to these people are outside the system because they don't. They don't. I mean, I saw a very funny thing saying that South Africa suffers from electile dysfunction,
1: <laughs> you
0: know, but basically where you you can't you can't find anyone to vote for. Um, so there's, there is a lot of dysfunction in the formal electoral system, and this is not sustainable. I mean, at some point, this turns into um, a sort of rebellion. I mean, it's, it's surprising. It's very surprising that South Africa has not actually sunk a lot further into the, into the mire. Um, and, you know, if you look at Venezuela, I think Venezuela's tipping point arrived a lot, you know, before they had 44% unemployment. If you look at the extended figure Mm. Um, and other countries, but South Africa somehow sort of holds it together for longer than it should.
1: Well, I'm curious also, about like, who the next people on the scene are going to be? Because if we if we do stick to politics the way that we've known it for the last few years, like you could see that the the EFF and the DA are doing a whole lot better to recruit younger people into their. Their, their hierarchies and into their, their machinery um, and they, they're they doing that fairly well I'd say certainly uh, if you look at the DA they're trying to bring in younger uh, and particularly younger black people in uh, the EFF has got a young leadership so they don't need to you know immediately replace them with, with younger ones yet but the ANC I mean, who we got there because Fikile Mbalula is still like making a lot of statements here there and everywhere when it comes to the election they lost Malusi Gigaba because he was a dud um, but but who else do they have? They're, they're all these old people in the ANC, and they don't seem to have any plan. The youth leagues, obviously, even
2: can... the young ones are old.
1: Yeah, I mean, even you know, the youth league since Julius Malema left has just floundered and fallen apart. We know the women's league is really just a show. There's nothing else going on there. So who are who are the young political leaders, and is there an independent movement that's starting to come about? We see Malusi, G- I mean Malusi Gigaba. Uh, Musi. Musi Mamane trying to to engender the idea of independent candidates as being an important outlet for some of this political steam, do you see that as a possibility or do you think that that's ridiculous and it 's not going to happen outside of parties they can 't
0: survive yeah i mean I think that you know the political playing field is is kind of captured in a way i mean you have a self perpetuating system so There are actually quite a lot of government funds that go to political parties based on their support. And I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it's a large number that gets paid to the ANC, for example. And even opposition parties get a fairly substantial amount of money out of the system. Um, And it's very hard to to start up. So, you know, it's the same as the business environment, Mm. where you have a lot of old established companies that are protected by a lot of bad practices and it's very hard to start a business in south africa and compete with them in the same way starting a political party and competing with these old established parties is actually extremely difficult i think the eff would have been that party except that it is tainted um, and the second you know because of the whole vbs scandal VBS, and so on. so but secondly the eff's constituency is that very constituency which is not registered to vote <laughs> it's outside formal politics correct so the EFF has these huge rallies but on voting day they don't come they're not as julia said they take the t-shirts yeah
2: they <laughs> they the t-shirt.
0: love the t-shirt go to a rally march through samson and then stay at home when when it's voting day that's the EFF's problem is to get its its constituency into formal politics And people are just, they don't, they just couldn't be bothered. They see complete dysfunction, there's no hope, and they they don't enter the political, the formal political system.
2: But the EFF also does not know how to do that. So the EFF, unfortunately, their foundation, having just stolen the playbook from the ANC, but also a dysfunctional one, did not come into the arena and kind of go, right, this is what we stand for, this is who we want, and this is how we're going to go about recruiting them. They just carried on doing what they always did as the youth league within the ANC and just now with a different T-shirt.
0: Yeah, I think they don't have a – they don't present an answer, a coherent Mm -hmm. answer. You know, they just present a lot of very sort of scary-sounding rhetoric which makes, you know, a broader constituency unavailable to them. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know they could be a lot smarter and deal with the VBS thing. You know it's not the leader, yeah. Although he has, some, it's somebody else in the party get rid of it. Yeah, like and and start start dealing with that kind of stuff.
2: Do you think um, the EFF has the opportunity? Because here's the other thing with the EFF right now. It's become a little bit like went to Holomisa in UTM, right? Mm. It's this is the Julius Malema show. Right. Going yeah. into the next general election, do you think that the EFF has what it takes to change its leadership and give us someone new, or are they just going to be Julius Malema the following year, Julius it, Malema it, the following year, Julius it's, Malema?
1: It's a bit of a grievance party. I mean, they yeah. they only exist because they lost their home in the ANC, you know. So they, without that, they don't really have much of a story. Or am I being unfair, Ray?
0: No, I think, you're, I think you're spot on. I think what the EFF is really angling for is a political realignment in which the left of the ANC falls out and joins up with them and forms a kind of majority. Um, that's what they're hoping for. But the chances of that happening are diminishing because that faction within the ANC is just being, it's it's being sort of pruned Um, into a little bonsai in the corner there, it's no longer Mm. a big part of the ANC. It's no longer a 50-50, which way is it going to go kind of scenario. Mm. So, and they're likely to get less and less seats and less and less places in municipalities Mm. and provinces and so on. And I don't think that scenario is going to work for the, the EFF. Um, well, I,
1: mean, I mean to date they don 't own it that own they don 't have the majority in a single ward in the in the country
0: you know? no they don't so but i I think they will advance in this election i mean so do,
2: of... do you think so
0: <clears throat> yeah I think so i mean just out of sheer sheer sort of um, desperation to vote for somebody else mm. they will pick up i a think lot
2: people vote. I think South Africans tend to rather not vote than vote for someone else. Yeah. I think we're going to see f- much fewer people showing up. I agree to the to the voting booth, and and that only serves the ANC. I mean, when less people show up, they still have their diehards who will show up. And to some and um, to
1: some extent, the DA. I mean, I think the DA and the ANC no. are they will benefit from a low voter turnout because the yeah. the people who vote DA will go. And less ANC people, you know, kind of not pitching at the polls will will give them a larger proportion of the the overall Mm -hmm. votes. So I think the DA and the ANC benefit from this, but not the EFF. I'm with Pumi on this one, Ray. Tell me quickly, because we haven't spoken about COVID at all, and it it is still there. We are still in a state of, what do they call it? Disaster.
2: Um, Disaster.
1: You know, and Casa Sanat Lamini is in charge of this, and we just keep having the state of disaster renewed. And Cyril did us the enormous favor of giving us, what is it, uh, adjusted level two um, permissions the other day. So now suddenly the curfew is at 11 instead of at 10, and you can buy liquor on a Friday. And, you know, all of this is hugely important to us, obviously. But, I mean, I walked around um, the other day in in a fairly – public and crowded place and i saw only a few people wearing masks most people shaking hands most people carrying on it's pretty much done and and you know vaccines are now available for anyone who wants them and they they're rolling them out in places far and wide to to their credit i think to government and and private businesses credit they've made the vaccines available largely so surely it's only a matter of time before all of this nonsense must end. And we must actually just get back to a stage where there aren't levels for us to have to comply with, like we live in a Dompas world pre-1994.
0: Yeah, I think that um, I think the problem is that we've, the economy has been severely hammered. And, you know, lifting it all now, I'm not sure is really going to help. Because things are very dire out there in the small... Business territory certainly, and in the hospitality, restaurant, catering, yes. that kind of industry, um, tourism. So, it's 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 yeah. I, I think there, there probably is still a concern because we only had 16 million with vaccinations. So, the the trouble is the 16 million are pretty, I think, well protected according to the science. Mm-hmm. And so they don't really – they would love to get back to normal. Yeah. But there's the the other 34 million that are not vaccinated um, that would actually suffer enormously. So it's quite a – it's a tricky one. I mean, I, I, one argument you could make about South Africa is that we had one of the heaviest lockdowns in the world mm-hmm. um, last year. Mm-hmm. But we also then had one of the largest – kind of infection and death rates in the world. So
1: in fact, you yeah, know, South, South Africa smart... has done very little to help the argument for lockdowns as a result of that.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, the movement towards a smarter kind of policy where you actually identify who is at risk and you isolate them. I mean, I think at the beginning it was known what the risk spread was. So you could have said 60s and over, you're locked down, you don't go anywhere, you don't see anyone, no restaurants for you. But did you have to do the same to, you know, 20 to 35 year olds? Correct. Um, who are sort of the backbone of the emerging small, small business economy in the country. Um, so that you know, it's very difficult to administer a kind of staggered, layered lockdown like that. Mm but i think it's also politicians' love it because you're on national television mm-hmm. you're the you you know you you you're demonstrating leadership you are you know everyone must tune in and listen yeah and then you've got sort of you can't do that if the situation isn't dire so you need to kind of paint a picture where the situation is pretty dire um, and it is, it is for some people. I mean, it's, it is it is for people who are ex- exposed and actually in the hospital and so on, um, but not for everyone. And how you come out of this and start to ease up um, in sections of the economy, in sections of the population, I think is the way forward.
1: So there was a little bit of political theater this week at the White House. Boris Johnson went over to meet Joe Biden, and they're both um, speaking at the United Nations, I think. Joe Biden already did that yesterday. But here's a picture of them at the start of the of the meeting, where they're both uh, wearing their masks. You can see them both sitting. Uh, probably, you know, they could probably reach out and touch each other, but they're both wearing the masks. And this is exactly two minutes later, where they're not wearing the masks <laughs> and they're now hugging. And... I'm, I'm just getting slightly annoyed by by this play acting that we're all involved in at the moment. And I want to know what your thoughts are on this because here are two men who are supposedly, you know, for better or for worse, and God help us if, if it's true in every sense of the word, but these are the supposed leaders of the free world. And they're meeting there and putting on a show. The masks have become a political badge. They've become a kind of secular kefir that people wear now in order to demonstrate that they are on this, this correct side of an argument, you know. And the anti-maskers and the anti-vaxxers have almost taken on anti-scientific positions just because they hate the politics of the other side so much. You see this more and more. It's not such a big problem in South Africa, but you see it all over Europe and America. I mean, it happens here too. I see I see your face. Oh. Me. It does happen here too. But not to, not to Did the you degree. not see
2: the march at sea point?
1: Like America, America seems to be irreconcilable at this stage there are very very red states and very very blue states and it, it seems to, to be heading in the direction that the union cannot hold you know the last time America was this divided was over slavery in the 1800s
0: yeah I mean I think it's deeply divided and what, what you don't have and it comes back to your, your question comments earlier about say for example the media who do you trust in the media There is no longer really a sort of somewhere you go to find out what's really going on. Mm -hmm. And so everyone's manufacturing their own story and believing it. And sort of cynically believing it Mm -hmm. in many cases, just because, as you say, because they politically are in that territory.
1: It almost seems that the more you believe it in the absence of evidence, the more righteous you are. You know, it's, it's, it's like it's yeah. become religious. The fervor has become religious. So if I want to demonstrate mm-hmm. how much I belong to this tribe or this party, I almost have to disregard all of the evidence to the contrary more vociferously than someone who's yeah. trying to be objective. That's how I prove I'm one of the good people or the bad people.
0: Yeah, but it does point to a sort of major global problem, which is that, you know, who's the headmaster? Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. In this crazy school where everyone's running around in the passages and not studying. Uh, it's, you know, it's kind of, uh, there isn't, you know. we used to have a bipolar world with the Soviet Union and the, and the United States. Mm-hmm. Then it became a unipolar world when the Soviet Union collapsed. Mm-hmm. And now it's a non polar world. And you've got, I think China is going to make a big, strong bid to be that kind of global force. And that's not a good thing. Um, I know it's not fashionable, but you know, China's China's a bad country in many respects. Um, it does not respect democracy and human rights, etc. Yeah. Um, and then there are many good things about China. For example, it's the way it's been able to expand its economy rapidly and lift you know billions out of poverty in a very short time. Mm-hmm. And it's got a pretty organized and effective government. Um, but, you know, so there's a, there's a kind of, there isn't a sort of uh, lodestar for the, for the world to look at um, and to actually say, well, this is how we measure ourselves. Well,
1: to, to uh, stick to America for a second, I see that Joe Biden's poll numbers in, in Pew polling just this week are for the first time since he's taken over. And remember, he's only been president since January. Um, are lower than Trump's were at the point where he was uh, unelected at the end of last year. That's quite scary because everybody looked at Joe Biden as being the return to sensible, the return to normal, the, the kind of the guy. Grown who,
2: up in the room.
1: Correct. And 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 now his poll numbers are as low as that, 43% and dropping like a stone. Every time he opens his mouth, it seems he says something else that's more stupid than anything Trump could have said. At least Trump seemed to have been cogent. Joe Biden doesn't even seem to be inhabiting his own brain at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think he's, he's struggling. Mm. I mean, you know, the alienation of Australia over this nuclear submarine deal, that's I a, think, that's was a quite a...
1: big story, and, and nobody's really talking yeah. about it.
0: Yeah. Um, and obviously the Afghanistan kind of fiasco mm. at, at the end there, although that really was Trump's making... It was Biden who was sitting in the White House when it went down and well, that's how
1: he could have changed it really... I mean, he had he had months to change the rules and he could have Var- various administrations in the past have said you know what we're not honoring that deal here's the new deal this is the new administration's plan Yeah it it seems kind of ridiculous that this was the government that was going to change things back to normal and then he says well we've got to stick to Trump's deadline he didn't have to Joe Biden if he'd had any hunas yeah. at all he would have said guys, no, we're going to keep a small peacekeeping force there like we have for the last 20 years, and we're going to try and maintain some order. Instead, he was like, nope, got to stick to this because Trump said so. It's kind of, it's not the same as the
0: messaging he keeps giving us everywhere else,
1: you know. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's, I mean, there's a loss of leadership taking place there. You know, it's just kind of, the world is just going, nah, you know, this is not... This doesn't and, look very coherent.
1: And what about Boris? I mean Boris is a big joke at the moment, you know. We we know that Boris is not an uneducated or unintelligent person. But I almost think he was better writing columns for GQ and being a, a public intellectual <laughs> than he was as Prime Minister. He's a terrible Prime Minister. He is a terrible Prime Minister.
0: Yeah, I know he was a, he was a good columnist. There were some of his columns which were a little unfortunate, but <laughs> Yeah, way back in the day. But, um, yeah, you know, I think he's kind of, again, it's the sort of this populist kind of politics that's kind of on the rise. I think Boris is is actually not doing a bad job, if you look at the UK in terms of uh, the management of COVID and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But, you know, they've opened up. Yeah. I don't think you have to wear a mask in the U.K. anymore. No, you don't. If you're vaccinated, um, you don't, and that's as right. As long
2: as you're not from South Africa.
0: <clears throat> yeah. But, you know, a lot of the Brexit things are coming home to roost now, you know, in terms of supplies and getting supplies out of Europe, the trade relationship, et cetera. I mean, there's a danger that they could run out of gas ahead of winter in the U.K. Um, well, then they, have to, then
1: they have to beg Vladimir Putin, don't they? Exactly.
0: So, you know, those those are problems. I mean, I think the Brexit thing uh, is going to really haunt them for a while. Yeah.
1: Well, that that's also true. But this this is part of the bigger narrative, which Pumi's brought up a couple of times, is the worldwide failure of the left and and how the left is just – they've run out of ideas and they're starting to go back and implement old ideas, which are not working. And all over the world, this you could call it populism, but it isn't always – Populism of the right or the left it's sometimes just people in Melbourne who are sick of lockdowns you know it it doesn't necessarily have a political tone to it, but what it is is a response to authoritarianism of every kind and a response against the ideas of kind of liberal western democracy in some ways. This is a failure of the left an unmitigated failure of the left. what do you think
0: yeah i would I would agree i mean I think that you know where has a liberation movement come to power and manage to turn that into very positive development, looking around our own sort of Southern African region, Mm. um, it's quite difficult. And the reason is that it doesn't translate well into economics. Uh, It's a great model for political power, achieving it and retaining it for a while against, against ours. But it's not a good model on which to construct and grow an economy um and the, i think there's a big chunk of the world which is functional and democratic and increasingly democratic and growing economically which um you know is 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 ignored so you know if you look at the southeast asian countries again yeah um, Just be careful when, when you
1: refer to the Southeast Asian countries, you've got to be careful because okay. you do sound a bit like Helen Zilla. Be
0: very careful. <laughs> yeah. No, I work at the Brentis Foundation and we released a book called The Asian Aspiration, mm. which asked the question, should Africa be following the Asian model? Yeah. And the answer is emphatically yes. And if you look at that Asian model, it's it's it really has Produced kind of a lot of economic dynamism um, and brought a lot of people into the economy and dealt with unemployment um, you know so a country like Singapore you know Singapore actually sent a delegation to Kenya in the 1950s to study Kenyan economic development because they wanted to they wanted to get ahead mm-hmm. um, that 's where Singapore was you know um and now they're just completely dwarf kenya and kenya sends delegations to singapore to find out you know how to how to ignite economic growth so they did something right and there's a model there you know and that is you've got to make these very big reform decisions and you've got to move what, what you've are got to free up so the, the,
2: what are those reforms? About, sorry,
0: uh, sorry yeah Pums, you go ahead i'll, I'll ask, ask no
2: ask your reform question no, and sorry, then i'll so i'm curious ask.
1: because you know the Brenthurst foundation I, I know you guys do excellent work and some of it gets more attention than than other bits of it usually the controversial stuff is the only stuff that gets reported on which is unfortunate but in your, in your work there and the work that other people at the Brent, Brent House Foundation do, what have you found to be those ingredients of reform that will speed our economy forward and will stop putting obstacles in the way of ordinary people achieving their economic liberation and achieving their own agency in, in, in the
0: world economy? I think the first thing is that you have to have a highly effective technocratic merit, meritocratic state. Um, you know, you can't you will go nowhere with unless you have the skills know how at the top in government. So you have to restore um technocratic skills and you can't be a fussy about where they come from. Mm -hmm. So if you have to bring people back who've gone overseas or whatever, do what you need to do. Um and then secondly, with that kind of state, you're able then to target the sectors of the economy. Which are going to grow the fastest, and are going to bring the most kind of uh, benefit, and actually accelerate the growth there. Mm -hmm. So it's not—it's not about you know state intervention is bad when the state is weak and does the wrong things, Mm -hmm. but the state intervention that took place in those Southeast Asian countries um, was good. It was targeted. And they actually, they aggressively pursued um, uh, attracting the most, most skilled people in the society into the government, and they, and they built industries. And then, when the time was right, those industries were moved into private hands where they could be sustainably and, you know, economically, functionally, go, you know, go forward with them. Mm. So there's, a, you know, in South Africa, we're, we're stuck because we have a state that's incompetent. I mean, it's, yeah. and okay, there, so was, then... there are a lot of people who do good in the state, again, let me just say, I mean, yeah. it's not everybody, but we've lost quite a big sort of technocratic layer. I mean, think of ESCOM. You know, ESCOM lost its engineering capacity and its project management capacity in the 1990s. And the consequences in the 2000s were so yeah, and we're still living with that. Mm. So, so
2: then the the question you know you talk about kind of big changes in in the the level of government, and what i'm also interested in, and maybe it 's a good place to be the last thing that we talk about, is what are the the changes that individuals what is it that individuals within our society so anybody listening today what what can each one of us do differently to move? forward because yeah. yeah we know our state is weak and our state is incapacitated in a lot of ways but we still have some kind of autonomy and and liberty to do some things
0: yeah and well, i think first you know vote wisely um would be the first thing that's <laughs> that's that's the primary way in which you can actually influence the direction the political direction of the country but i think secondly it's um to try and sort out local-level yes. um, governance. You know, uh, that's where it all begins. So, you know, do you have a residence association or are you a member of it? Do you support it? Do you work with them to influence the council, to sort your area out, to sort your services out, to deal with the potholes in your streets? Yeah. That's where it begins, I think. Actually uh, you know where you can make a change you know where you live and um, what you encounter every day is probably the the strongest way to begin
1: and and what an opportunity we have to do all of that and to do the first thing you suggested, which is to use our votes wisely in the upcoming elections so we 've got a month or a month and a half to prepare ourselves and to be propagandized if we 're unfortunate. Um, but mostly to make our own minds up and to decide who we want to to have in positions of not particular glory and and power and and huge money. I mean, local and municipal politics is is a messy affair, and it's not glamorous in any which way. Uh, But But it's about service. But that's where the real the activity really happens and where the the, the the people make themselves counted. So let's do this, Ray. I'm going to take your advice, and I think we should all. Um, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming to join us this morning, and uh, we appreciate your time. Keep doing the good work that you do at the Brent, House, Brent House Foundation. And uh, keep writing occasionally for, for those publications where you've said that you don't mind your name being associated. Because <laughs> we'd love to hear from you. It's always good to have your input. Thank you so much.
2: Good to see you again. Okay. All right. Thank, Thank you. you very much.
1: Very good. There's Cheers. Ray Hartley. That is the burning platform for this morning with me and Pumi and you. And we will see you tomorrow. Oh, no, we won't tomorrow. Tomorrow's a holiday. Woohoo! So we're off tomorrow. So there's no show here. We will see you on Monday. Okay, make sure you put that in your diary. Six o'clock Monday. Have a good long weekend, everybody. Happy Heritage Day. Cheers, booms. Bye.